0: Good morning. i uh, sorry for the change of venue. We are updating that whole section over there in the shul. They're just sprucing it up right now in time for Pesach and everything, so it's just going through a little bit of a change. And so, a reminder from what we said last week, we finished Be'er HaGola. We finished our, our overview of uh, the Maharal's defense of Chazal, of our sages of rabbinic Judaism. And what we are going to be focusing on today is a section on Purim, and maybe a section that at first glance, well, maybe for some of you, may seem completely... Um, Unrelatable, but I hope, at least conceptually, it'll be very relatable. And then our goal is afterwards to start a three-part series on the Haggadah. Um, You know, it's one of those books, you kind of come in, you're busy cleaning. I'm sure you're spending all that time while you're cleaning, listening to Shiorim about the Haggadah. Just kidding, no, we're all busy cleaning. And so we don't have a chance, we walk into the Seder, and it's been a year. And we don't really, so the goal of the Haggadah class is not to share with you uh, brilliant, every Torah, exciting. I want us to walk away with an understanding of the Haggadah. The Haggadah is Uh, you know, it's called Seder night, it's called the night of organization, and the great irony is the Haggadah, at least for many years for myself, seemed like the most lacking in in Sidur. It seemed like very random, very much all over the place, and uh, in truth, when you dig a little bit deeper, it's actually one of the most brilliantly organized um, Sfarim, you know, pieces of liturgy, really, that we have. The goal is to really go through it section by section, appreciate the overall structure of the Haggadah, and then section by section to give us a good, deep understanding. Again, the goal is not to have you know, you're not going to stand up on the table, on the chair, like a little child, and share every Torah. The goal is like you'll really understand the Haggadah. That's that's the goal. That's the hope uh, we have. Hagadas here. You don't have to bring your own. I don't want them to get chometz. stick, your Haggadahs, um, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll have will so again. We'll be starting that next. Oh, uh, sorry, not next week. Next week there is actually not going to be a class. My apologies. I'm going to be away next week, but the week after that, uh, it'll be a two-part series. My apologies. Two-part series on the Haggadah. Okay. Sorry, there is are uh, on the bima, There's on one of the poles there. Okay. So let's today I want to talk about alcohol. Jewish perspective of alcohol. Now, we're not going to raise our hands how many people drink on Purim. Uh, I think that's immaterial to our discussion today. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a complicated discussion. Um, so we'll start with you know, just a reminder of some probably very famous or infamous stories in the Torah, which seems to paint a very uh, deliberate picture of uh, man and woman's human relationship to alcohol. Uh, The first two stories, the most famous stories, or infamous stories, are of course Noah. After the flood, what does Noah do? Noah and, you know, the the more modern commentators uh, see it from a a psychological lens, and they'll point out that Noah is devastated over the destruction of the world. He doesn't know what to do. What does he do? The first thing that he plants is a vineyard, and he drinks. He drinks alcohol, and of course, whatever exactly takes place in that story, which is a matter of much discussion, it's not good. It's not good. He ends up being uh, disgraced, ashamed. Um, in one way or another, and it's very clear, a very very clear straightforward read of that section there is clearly a message there that the alcohol is not good, it's bad, it causes them to do terrible things. The next story, including alcohol, uh, takes place a few generations later, and that is with Lot. This story is even more shameful. We find the daughters of Lot going ahead and uh, causing their father to drink, and in doing so they eventually uh, cohabit with their own father in order to impregnate themselves, in order which, which they think the world is not yet, uh, not, you know, the world is over and they want to make sure that there is continuity, which is in some respects noble. Chazal uh, do point out that by the time he is uh, in, in, you know, the, the, by the second night, the time that he's with his second daughter, at that point he's already aware of what's going on. And so again, he kind of allows himself to drink, he allows himself to do a terribly immoral act. So Again, the Torah seems to indicate alcohol is bad, right? It seems, That seems to be, again, very maybe simplistic, but, but that would be our, our takeaway. Uh, I, we could go on forever with different sources. I'll mention one other source, then we'll learn one source together, then we'll, we'll d- dive in. Uh, a very interesting thing, you know, the bracha, you know, we have brachos for different food categories. So if you're going to have a vegetable, you make the bracha of Hadamah. If you're going to have a fruit, you make the bracha Ha'etz. And that is true. There's only a handful of brachos. There's shahakol, there's tama, there's mezonos, there's aitz, right? And those are the brachos that we make on, on, on you know, on, on general categories. There are two foods that are exceptional. One is bread, hamotzi lecha min haaretz, right? Whereas all other grains, we say borei minem um, mezonos. No matter what type of grain, when it comes to bread, there is a specification there. It's only specifically hamotzi, okay? Um, and the Gemara discusses why. But then the Gemara also, the Gemara bracha says, why do we have a special bracha? for wine. okay, And it doesn't say because we use wine for Kiddush that is almost, as we're about to see, is almost after the fact. The reason the Gemara says we have a special bracha for wine is because wine is incredibly important to bring joy to us, to human beings. right? And so the Gemara clearly is telling us this is a bracha, this is, you know, we take brachos rather seriously. We don't, you know, to the the point that, you know, any missed bracha, we we usually very often have to go ahead and repeat the bracha. You know, it's not, we're not chazal or is not well, flippant with their development of brachos, and they deliberately are going ahead and singling out wine, alcohol and saying, whereas all other drinks, we're going to say shahakal over when it comes to wine, we make a special bracha. Why? Because wine is so incredibly valuable that it needs its own bracha. Okay? So a little bit of a counterpoint to that initial idea. Right, Wine on the one hand is depicted as a terrible thing at the same time, where the Gemara bracha is telling us the reason we say a special bracha on wine is because of its incredible value, okay? So there is one Gemara which really zooms into this topic, and we'll use it as a springboard. We'll read through a couple of lines of this Gemara. Um, We're on, uh, yeah, through this, this, um, so I want to actually credit uh, some of the people who did some of the research for this, uh, who I borrowed from their research, uh, Rabbi Josh Pflug, as well as Rabbi, um, oh boy, um, Jeremy Rosenfeld, not Jeremy, Rabbi Rosenfeld, uh, Rabbi Joseph, Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld, okay. Uh, So I want to just accomplish, Acknowledge them. Okay, so let's learn a Gemara in Sanhedrin where it d- dives in and it really contrasts this, this tension that we have about wine, alcohol being good, or wine or alcohol being bad. Okay, so the Gemara in Sanhedrin tells us, says Yaim Olam elan Shalim Wine was created in order to give comfort to mourners and to provide shar. we usually translate as reward, but it doesn't mean reward, or in this context it means like the, the due, uh, you know, response to Rasham. In other words, it is given to them, it's what they deserve, it's what's coming to them. Right? So on the one hand, in that same Gemara, it quotes a Pasuk in Mishleur, it says, T'nu sheikhar uh give alcohol to someone who is going to be destroyed, and that would seem to be an allusion to the Rashan, the evil people who are going to be destroyed. The yayin, lemari nefesh, and wine to those who are bitter, those who are sad. Right, so this gemara over here is acknowledging this tension and saying, on the one hand, it is the tool through which Rishayim kind of self-destruct. In evil people, God as like God, steps back. You want to know how they self-destruct? That is, uh, alcohol exists and, uh, and enables them to self-destruct because through their wine they end up doing even worse things, and ultimately it doesn't end well for them. So on the one hand, to do al Le'Ovei, we give the alcohol to those who are going to be destroyed, and at the same time we're told it has this incredible value for those who need. A lift me up. Those who are bitter, there are times when uh, there are the tools that we have at our disposal are not able or the psychological tools we have at our disposal are not able to lift us up when we are really down, and therefore, the Gemara says over here, wine actually plays a significant role in lifting people's spirits. No pun intended. Okay, so another Gemara, the Gemara continues, of okay. Yitzchak, what does the Pasuk mean? Another Pasuk in Mishle. Al tira yayin, okay. ki is aden. Okay, don't worry about alcohol. Uh, you know, don't or don't look negative don't look at alcohol, don't look at wine, hiisa deim, because it is red. Okay? That seems rather cryptic. The Book of Mishlay is one of the most cryptic books out there. So what does this mean? Yitzchak explains. Altira yain, of Okay, don't worry about wine, because it goes ahead and it reddens the face. Once again, we're talking about these evil people that wine contributes to their reddening of the face in this world. And it brings uh, a whitening of the face. When, when does our face turn white? When we're ashamed, right? When we're embarrassed, Well, sometimes it turns red, but typically in the Gemara they usually focus on the white, like our, our, our blood drains out of our face. We're really, like, it's, a, it's more than, than afraid. It's, it's, we're afraid, we're shocked, we're scared. So on the one hand, wine makes their face red right now. So that's what the pasuk is saying. Don't worry about the redness. Yeah, they seem like they're enjoying themselves right now, but that same joy is going to be the catalyst for their pain and shame that they're going to experience in Olam Habah. Rava Amar, okay, Altira Yain,, yaim kisadim alti ra He says, no, don't look at wine. And over here, it's a play on word. Kisadim doesn't mean that it, it when it's red, but rather kisadim he translates as because it causes. Not ada, uh, uh, like isadim from the from the word red, but rather dam from the word blood. It causes bloodshed, right? So these two amoras are basically saying alcohol. It is something which is the uh, you know we, we leave it for the Rashaim, and it's something which goes ahead and ultimately causes bloodshed. Okay, which we um, tragically know is could be the case. Further, let's go to the next uh, next line. Rav Kahana Rami. Rav Kahani raises a contradiction. Ksiv tirosh. Okay, the pasuk says tirosh in reference to uh, wine, okay, and there's a pasuk in Yerim Yahu, we'll just read it in English Therefore they shall come and sing in the heights of Zion, and shall flow to the bounty of Hashem, for wheat and for wine and it's spelled t okay, we'll, we'll come back to that word in a moment, and for oil so basically this pasuk is speaking about all the great things, okay, and in describing wine, it used the word T-Rosh but it's spelled incorrectly, t which is wine, should be spelled Tav, yud Resh, Vav, Shin, T-Rosh Instead, the Vav is missing. So what does that mean? So the Gemara says, Zacha nase Rosh. Lo zacha nase Rosh. If a person merits, it makes you into a Rosh, from the word T-Rosh, but it also could be read t Rush Rush means someone who is impoverished, someone who is lacking. So on the one hand, wine could make a person a Rosh, a leader. Okay, this is a very positive statement. It's not only a lift me up, right? But Rav Kahan over here is saying that wine has the ability to lift a person up to the point of stature. Okay? And at the same time, wine also has the ability to impoverish a person. Okay? One more, one more Gamara, Raba, Rami Xiv, Raba once again brings a contradiction. Yismach, Xiv, Yismach, the Karinan, Yisamach, or Yishamach. Okay, so on the one hand, the pasuk says that wine makes a person happy. At the same time, it says Yishamach, it could be read Yishamach, sin and shin, right? In the Torah, we don't have Nikudos. And it always opens up the possibility for any word to be read in more than one way. So our tradition tells the that the nekudos were written in up Actually, there's one Torah over here. I wish I knew the story. Maybe, Elliot, Maybe you'll, you'll maybe want to be able to tell me the story if you know this. But there's one Torah we stopped using, but I found when I first came here that someone had put some nekudos uh, and trup, and they put the tamim in the Torah, which is like terrible, terrible, terrible. With pencil, I was shocked, like shocked. Shock, shocked. shock. shock. Uh, we haven't fixed it up yet because it's a lot of work to, to clean up. Uh, but I don't know what happened. Uh, any knowledge? No? No idea. Okay. okay, Yeah, okay. I, I, whatever. I did make a fuss about it at the time, but we haven't used it to put it aside. Um, uh, but anyway, the point is... Sorry, that's a little bit of a tangent. The point is that the word, the reason for that is because you can open a Flemish a, a and you can just read the words and it could come out a hundred different ways. There's no nikudos in the Torah. So is it yismach or is it yishamach? Okay? So Yismach means to make us happy. Yishamach comes from the word Shmama, which means destruction or craziness. So again, Rabbi says, so it's, mean, it's meant to teach you these two possibilities. Zacha misamcha, if you merit, it makes you happy. Lo zacha, it goes ahead and it makes you crazy. Okay? Fine. That, so basically, once again, we see these two different versions. Once again, this whole Gemara over here basically demonstrates the tension that we have with alcohol. Okay, so before you look ahead, if I were to ask you, if someone were to stop you on the street, hey, you look kind of Jewish, and I want to ask you a question, what is the Torah's perspective, what is Judaism's perspective towards alcohol? Towards, and, and, and maybe, and maybe this would be true for um, not just alcohol, alcohol is oftentimes represents anything that uh, kind of lifts our spirits, any, any form of, 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 whether it's medicine, um, form of substances, or things that will go ahead and lift a person's spirits. What is the Torah's perspective of such things? How would you address that? How would you answer that question? Yes? With the exception of Purim, but not necessarily firm moderation, but I have a question on female you know, perspective on red wine. Okay. Other than, you know how observant families family is by looking at their Pacha's like, jug, mm-hmm. okay, or their tablecloth. For, you know, for, okay, I hear you. Other than that, does it happen to us? Red wine is almost impossible to release from anything. Stainwise. wise. what? Yes. Stains, okay. well any good red wine. Right, right. Red wine maybe. Good. good. The red wine has a tannin. It actually is a dye. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so good. I'm going we're gonna revisit that when we get uh, some of the more practical side of things. Just parenthetically, I just met with uh Hasanakala, bride and groom last night and, and one of the things that I always make sure to reassure them uh, as I go through like walk them through what happens at the chup, I say, There's gonna be two cups of wine, but if you have half a brain, you use white wine. Right? Because worst case scenario if that spills not going to ruin that beautiful gown or that shirt or suit or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but but there are times as we'll see that wa- that red wine is uh, is is ideal and sometimes also we have to ask ourselves, you know, I just made a bit of a sweeping statement. Maybe it's not just wine, maybe it's all forms of alcohol, maybe it's substances. How far reaching is this? Right? So some people will look at some of these discussions that perhaps you know, and, and maybe for, for you and I this would seem a little off-putting, but you know, you have to realize in this day and age, um, I think, I don't know exactly, right? I believe in, in, in the United, in, in Maryland, marijuana is completely legal, I don't know, completely legal right at this point? Okay, completely legal. Um, right? So, you know, is this a discussion about all forms of substances or is this limited to wine? Is this true about whiskey or is it limited to wine? Right? So this could be a broad discussion, it could be a limited discussion, and that's something we're going to have to revisit. Yes. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Right, right, so right. So then we have substances which are, you know, with with proper care are controlled substances that could be used uh presumably to not presumably clearly to help people lift them up from their from, from a situation where otherwise without that medication they would be in Murray Nefesh. They would be or whatever, it depends on the situation, but different different uh medications which will lift a person up in one way or another. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So um it says that wine raises the spirits I think that alcohol is actually a depressant. so do you think that maybe it kind of depresses the, uh, like, like, allows the person to get beyond their... Inhibitions. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, so to that point, you know, one of the, the commentaries on this piece, uh, the Ben Yoyada, who is one of the, whenever we look through any Gemara, uh, there are sections which are aghadeyak and such sections which are more halakhic. So, there were some commentators who only exclusively focused on the Agadaic section, sections like this, which don't necessarily teach us explicitly a Halakha. Um, And so, the Benio Yadda says exactly that idea, and he actually explains that as well in the context of how wine can make someone a leader. You know, wine makes someone a leader? What does that mean? Um, But the idea is that, to that point, that wine isn't necessarily in and of itself something which causes us to be lifted up, um, left. Purely on its own it's something which technically brings a person down, but by opening a person up, that could allow a person to um, experience emotions that, we, there's, you know, we're constantly holding back emotions, you know, in and, a and healthy, you know, healthy fashion, right? Uh, sometimes we have to put on a certain face, sometimes we have to act in a certain way, but sometimes we go too far. Sometimes we hold back on, our, on what we have to say, sometimes we're too inhibited, right? And so uh, what alcohol could also do is allow a person, and this is the ben yoda says, the reason it could cause someone to be a leader. Is that sometimes there are people who are ready to be leaders. People have so much to do, so much to say, but they're inhibited. And so, um, whether we take this Gemara literally in the sense that, okay, so that, you know, I, I'm not recommending that a person who wants to become a leader should start hitting the bottle. But there's a concept, there's an idea there that sometimes what a person does need is some loosening up, whether it's through alcohol or other mechanisms. But, but yes, to that point, that allows for that joy. Yes? You about, we just about red wine and white wine. Was, it, what, was all wine red is it for some other time? I, it doesn't seem like I, I I don't know historically from the certainly from the medieval commentators, it's quite clear they had white wine as well. Um, I just don't know enough to say anything definitively. I, I can't speak in the times of the Talmud, I, I can't speak to any particular Gemara that seems to distinguish, but certainly in the time in the medieval you know in the past thousand years, uh, there's extensive discussion about white versus red wine. If you have How about the idea that in um, the past thousand years or even before, people often alcoholic beverages because water was unsafe. Kind of that's right. That's right. So it was more common with people to have that's right, right? So keep in mind, back in the day, you know, we drink, we're, we're so accustomed to drinking water. Waters are a staple, but but they didn't have water, or they, they weren't supposed to be drinking water. Many people did not drink water for that reason. So it was far more common in the ancient world to be drinking alcohol regularly. And that certainly gives, uh, shades this discussion a little bit, um, in a sense. That and, and not that long ago, people were doing the same, you know? Um, not, uh, you know, maybe they had water, but it was so... People were so accustomed to drinking alcohol that it was it was very normal in, in society um, to, for people to be drinking alcohol. Yeah, you know, I just little this uh, mammoth uh, Harry Truman uh, biography. It's a wonderful biography. Uh, but but basically, every morning he would have a shot of bourbon. He would go on, He would do some exercise, and after his exercise. He would have a shot of bourbon. I don't know about you. I, I mean, I, I just, as you can see, my face is a little flush, I, I just, my, I just had a, my I was a little late today. I was a little late jog. If I would, there'd be alcohol in here. I'd be collapsed right now. Uh, but that's what he would do. And that, and that was nor that was not out of the ordinary uh, entirely for that time. That was a transition time where people, you know, water was okay. But my point is almost like a thru- uh, like a holdover, you know. And mm-hmm. and in some people, I, I grew up, you know, I. And shul, this was the norm. I you know with all the, these uh, you know people from from Europe, uh, you know, and in, in my shul in Montreal, after after shahras, every morning they'd have you know kichol, dry whatever, I don't know what it, you know dry dry something, mizonos, uh, and then they would have and shoot it down with a shot or two of like shivas regal or something. That was like completely completely normal. Even though you're right, I, I, I certainly could have drank water, but this is where they were used. To. They weren't getting drunk. They were just drinking alcohol. yes? Yeah. And then they could go, they could do whatever. Interesting. And I remember looking at and thinking, you know, how It was it was it was quite normal. Yes, yeah, so thank you for all those points. Thank you for all those points. And I think, again, what we see is something which I, I guess we know that there is this tension. On the one hand, it could be something which is could be positive. It's something which we know, and I think we know even more today, how dangerous it could be, and uh, incredibly dangerous could be. Um, so there's really, I, I would say, and maybe this is an oversimplification, um, I would almost say there's like two approaches that are, that are mentioned by, that are brought out by the Rishonim, by the medieval commentators. One is the Rambam, and I think this was touched upon by someone earlier. Um, and, and the historical context does have to be taken into account. They were drinking alcohol as much more normal in the time, but they did have other drinks, right, the Gemara you know, is replete with all these other drinks, they, all these juices or different mixtures that they would have as well uh, but wine was certainly a staple for many. Now, one way or another, the Rambam basically says, and this is a classic idea of the Rambam that he writes over and over again um, in regards to many things he speaks of, and this is an idea that, that really he, he borrows, so to speak, from Aristotle this idea of the golden mean. Balance, the Rambam is all about balance the Rambam's approach to understanding so many of the mitzvos Right, the Rambam's approach to understanding kosher is that kosher really is a reflection of balance. Right, we could be too indulgent. We could eat. We could be ascetics. Um, and so the Torah goes ahead and gives us some uh, parameters to instill within us a an ethic of balance, an ethic of of being able to be balanced. And the Rambam uses that same idea in in addressing, you know, in taking this Gemara, um, in understanding this Gemara, and in addressing wine in general. He says. All these things must be understood as just balance. There is nothing, he says, which is intrinsically bad. There is nothing, and even something like alcohol is not intrinsically bad. As long as it could be, as, as long as we could drink it with balance, that is totally fine. How far-reaching do we want to take that, right? So certainly, I, I don't have a doubt in my mind, the Rambam and, and any other commentators, you know, he mentioned Prozac. You know, that, that I will not even mention is, is balance there. The whole goal of Prozac or something like that is to bring about balance, so that a person has a chemical imbalance, and the goal of the medication is to bring the person to a place of, what we would call, you know, normative balance, to bring them to a place where they're able to be balanced. Uh, but it's an interesting discussion, uh, one which I'm not going to weigh in on, on beyond alcohol. And that is, you know, again, we have these substances, um, and it's, a, it's an important discussion to have. I haven't seen anyone really dive into this discussion. Uh, but but the, the usage of... Uh, you know, recreational drugs is, is rampant, uh, and personally, I just, my, my gut reaction is off-putting, it's wrong, but at the same time, there is an ethic of balance, and, and that has to be uh, thought about. You know, how do we, what, is our, what is our hashkafic approach? What is our approach to these things? Is there, do, we, do we draw the line and say, absolutely not? Do we say, if, there, if it is safe, and that's a big if, that's not so clear to me, uh, but if there is safety, with let's just say drug X, is there room for some level of balance? Again, I'm posing this as a question, uh, but it's an important question which, which is being answered on the ground without you know, us having these discussions. So I think it is an important discussion to think about what is our approach, again, to things which are intrinsically safe to some extent, um, if they are safe, and what is our approach. The Ramam says we don't say good, we don't say bad. Generally speaking, we say if something is, we, we basically look at things and recognize that there's balance a little bit is going to be okay a little bit is going to be good a glass of wine you know is going to be okay um, you know too much is you know a person is going to be indulged with, both from a perspective of indulgence as well as from a perspective of not being able to uh, make proper choices right and that that was what the gemara said the reshaim the gift you know the 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 way god pays back the reshaim in this world is what they think is a gift it is actually, you know, their 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 destruction. And that's what the Gemara was saying that that a person could imbibe too much, and ultimately that paved the path to their own downfall, their own spiraling out of control, and therefore it's to be used as a, as a terrible tool for, for for as well. Okay, so that's the Ramam's approach. The Sefer interestingly, uh, the Sefer HaChinuch is uh, fascinating. Uh, we actually don't know the author of this book. But the, Khinuch, the history behind it is wonderful. Excuse me. Um, he says. The Sefer HaKhinah, I just want to give you the history, was, was written by an anonymous medieval commentator, a medieval scholar. Uh, we don't know who it is, many, much speculation. We have no idea who it is, but he writes in his introduction to this book. This is amazing because he's writing this uh, 700 years ago. and so said, My son's kind of like running around on Shabbos afternoon. Okay? For anyone who has, you know, I don't know, young boys, like, yeah, that's what they do. And I want to give him something that's engaging. And it's Shabbos. I don't, you know, he's not going to sit down with the regular books, right? It's not going to work. So I need to give him something which is going to be engaging um, and it's a little bit more exciting, a little bit more enjoyable. And so he writes this book ostensibly for his son. Okay, um, and basically what it is is he goes through mitzvah by mitzvah and explains uh, the rationale behind the mitzvah. It's really our first book which goes into what we call Taameh mitzvos, the rationale, the reasons behind mitzvos. And he's writing it for his son. Now you have to appreciate he was this tremendous scholar, and therefore although you know he may have placed it in the kids section of the library, um, the book becomes the source for extensive academic, you know, discussion in, 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 in yeshivas because, you know, when a scholarly person speaks, you listen to what they have to say. Even though they might be speaking to a child, there's wisdom there. And so, although he's writing it really for a child or teenage audience, uh, becomes this incredibly scholarly work. That's the Sefer Achenuch. Okay, so he writes, he says, no. He says, there are actually, there are indications from the Torah that wine, anything that is an intoxicant, is going to be intrinsically evil. He says, what's the proof to this? He, he is saying this in the context of a mitzvah called Kilei HaKerem. There are certain extra laws that apply to the development of vineyards that don't apply by any other mitzvahs. So why is that? Why is it that we have more restrictions when it comes to alcohol, when it comes to something which could be intoxicated? He says it must be, the Torah is trying to convey to us, that there is something which is intrinsically Bad, right? Taking a different approach from the Rambam. It's not balance, balance, balance. Everything is neutral. Uh, you know, this what well, we would perhaps say a more a, a little bit more of a relativistic type of relativistic type of view. He says, no, anything which is intoxicant is is bad. There are exceptional cases where it could be used for good, whether it's purim, whether it's these gemaras where a person maybe needs it, right? But our approach, you know, when we think of it that way, is a very different approach. There's a very practical difference, right? In other words, you have a bottle of wine sitting in your house, you have a schnapp sitting in your house. When are you engaging? The Ram would say, when you want, when you want. You want to you know, put down your, your breakfast or your dinner or whatever with a glass of wine? No problem, that's totally fine, as long as you're not getting you know, drunk. Um, that's okay, moderation, moderation. Whereas the day of says no, you really have to justify any engagement with something so dangerous. Right? It is not something which we should just say, anything is okay. On the contrary, the, the burden of proof is on the alcohol. You, know, you have to prove that it's actually a good thing for you. Okay, so on um, Seder nights, certainly, you know, Purim, which we'll get to, maybe, uh, you know, but but there are going to be cases where it's going to be, or a person needs it. Great, that's fine. But to say I'm just going to just randomly go ahead and grab a beer or grab it, whatever, the Sefer HaChinuch says no. The, the implication of the Torah is that this is something which is intrinsically problematic, and it's only going to be used in positive in positive scenarios, and that's that's how we should approach it. Okay, that would end. So these are two, uh, you know, this, I'm not, these are not two halachic differences, okay, but there are two hashkafic differences. There are two different perspectives on how we perceive something like alcohol. You know, we live today, you know, uh, and it's probably not, I don't think it's probably, is not a good thing. I'll tell you, when I was in, in yeshiva near Israel, you know, on, on Friday nights, you know, some of the guys would something to get like a few beers or whatever it is, and they get like a six pack or whatever it is, and, you know, I don't know, over the course of a month, you know, maybe finish like 12 bottles of beer or something. Over course, that means like featuring a bunch of people, you know, and they're, they're sharing whatever it is. I remember going to the yeshiva, you know, years later, and stopping by the dorm, and there's like cases of like empty beer, and it's not Neri Yisrael. This is universal. You go my, my you know, uh, people older than me joke around that when they were uh, students at a shalom Zacher, they would have one bottle of, of schnapps, one bottle of whiskey, and it would go from shalom Zachar to shalom Zachar. It was the same bottle, you know. Maybe someone would take like a little sip. And now, we live in a very different world. You know, the alcohol is flowing in our world, um, and I think these two perspectives—again, where exactly do you draw the line? I, I cannot tell you. I think there is an extensive amount of subjectivity, and the Rambam's approach is, is certainly a valid approach, but—but but there certainly is a culture shift where we are much more, uh, much more. There's much more drinking in our culture, and I think these two ideas—you know—how Chazal, how our sages looked at alcohol—is something worth contemplating, or at least worth reflecting on. Question? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Now, correct. Correct. Very fair question. Um, it's seen as something which is elevated. I think that we could probably approach it to practically. They didn't drink it. It was poured on them as bath, right? So, yes. Uh, that that said, that said, there certainly is an element, and we can, people chalk this up to being a Hasidic idea, but it's really predates the Hasidim of elevating, of taking something which is uh, perhaps has uh, is seen as negative. And, and elevating and doing it for a positive purpose. I mean, the most extreme example the base of the Baizam Migdash, really outside the base, is Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year. What do we do? The Ramban explains you what's know, the, the, the strange uh, you know, ceremony that we have on Yom Kippur? The Seir, La'azazel. Right? We have this goats which we throw off a cliff. Right? Lots of explanations. The Ramban takes the most straightforward approach and, and, and shocking, radical approach. He says, really, that is a form of idol worship. That's what he says. He says, really, he says, a service outside the of English, you're, you're normally, you know, in the times of the of English, that's a sin, right? So what is this, what, what's going on here? We're taking an animal, and we're engaging in some service over here, um, and he says, this is a form of idolatry, but it's sanctioned idolatry of some sorts. It's basically when God ordains it, then we're able to, so to speak, and there's more to it, but basically we're able to lift it up. Okay, we, we can spend more time unpacking that, but the point is that in the of English specifically, we, you know, we're able to, it's so, you know, it's the place that needs, that, that is meant to be the, the, the uni, unifier of the entire world, where all everything's coming together, and everything stemming from, so, if anything, there's more of an allowance for things which might be even more negative, and, and perhaps lifting, lifting it up. Perhaps. Uh, yeah, we make Kiddush on wine. Yeah, so, it's the right, so the same thing is going to have to say, yeah, it's true. It's, it's okay, but, but when we think about it, again. The, the difference between the Rambam and the Sefer HaKinuch, I would suggest, is not about Purim, it's not about Kiddush, it's not about Havdalah, it's going to be more about opening your fridge in the evening, you know, and grabbing the beer. The Sefer HaKinuch would say, and maybe it could be justified, you had a bad day. Okay, you need it, cool. But the Rambam, the difference to me, you know, the way I look at it is, is and again, it's not a halachi, but more like, how should we approach this? The Rambam would say, end of the day, grab your beer. Presumably, I don't know, I think. Whereas the Sefer HaKinuch would say, he thinks that, that's it's, it's subtle, but it's an important difference. So yes, they both agree it's going to be used not only in the basic language but in our own practices and it plays a significant role in our practices and we're going to jump in now uh, get a little bit deeper, a little bit more of an understanding of why and what the deeper understanding of, of alcohol is. Um, but it's, it's a subtle difference between those two approaches. Yes? Well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wine, no. Yeah. Yeah. Because And again, it's part of every ceremony, more or less every ceremony, we do have wine. Right, right. There, is, it sort of doubles up as an anesthetic. Right. Um, okay. So let's learn two pieces of the maharal. We've been learning. Now you're all maharal experts. Uh, you're all going to be teaching maharal classes. Um, so we're going to we're going to learn two pieces the maharal as we as we've now become a little more accustomed to him. Uh, you know, is is uh, you know takes very profound ideas and tries to unpack them for us in a way that, that's somewhat accessible to us. So <laughs> if you look under the section the power of wine on the second page, I apologize I didn't translate it. Uh, we'll read through it as, as best as possible together. So, Lenivra Yayin El Anachim He is commenting on that Gemara that says that wine serves the purpose of comforting a mourner. And, right, that basically is meant to lift a person up. Now, I should take that back. It, it, it doesn't say to lift a person up, that Gemara says it's there specifically for the mourner. Okay? And he's going to pick up on that. doesn't say in that Gemara particularly, in that one line, it doesn't say that, that, that authority doesn't say wine is there to lift people up. He says it's specifically for those who are avalim, those who are mourners. Okay? So what does he say? Is he says, Perish. Explanation. He says, Wine is not fit for this world. Okay? What does that mean? Wine is something which is godly. Okay, now this is almost like a third approach, right? The Rabbim says, okay, moderation. The Khan says it's intrinsically bad. The Maharal is almost slipping on its head. It's intrinsically so incredibly good, right? It's almost godly. It doesn't even belong on this earth. Okay, again, this is a little bit of a mystical idea. There's a Pasuk, a very strange Pasuk, which says that wine gladdens people and... Elohim. Elohim is gods or or angels, right? Right? So it seems like it's something which is beyond this world. And a person could understand this. He says, wine, how do we make wine? We take the juice out of the, it's hidden, right? The juice is hidden in the grape, and we extract the juice that's there. Mora This reflects the physical reflection. Wine is hidden, it's not part of the revealed world. Okay, we're getting into some little bit of mysticism over here. And therefore he says, Hashar Amru when our sages said, Zadikim there's a Gemara that speaks about the reward for the righteous in the world to come. Amru, the Gemara in Sanhedrin tells us, Yayin Hamashumar ba'navav ba'navav." It is the wine that is kept, protected, hidden in the wine, in the grapes. Kilomar, as if to say, Kiyashailatzadikim, The reward for the righteous is hidden. Shain The eye cannot see it. It's similar to the Pasuk, and Yeshaya says that, you know, it refers to Olam Ba, the world to come, it says, it's something which the eye cannot see. So when we're trying to paint a picture of the reward for the world to come, wine is evoked as the reward. Why? Because wine represents something which is hidden. The hayayim shaba olam azeh mipnimius hanav and therefore when wine in this world which goes out from what's hidden in the grape v'yeshbo inyan ruchaniya has something spiritual lohayah ra'wi baolam it really is not fit for this world rak only lenachem bo avelin only to comfort the mourners shegielo misa beechem mikrov of someone who lost a relative a loved one vayayim misakeach also who may shiv nafsho a love. And the wine opens the person up and returns their soul. He's going to explain why. Specifically, the mourner needs something which is not from this world. What is a passing person dies? Their soul departs this world. When a person loses a loved one. It's not just that they lost their loved one. There's a part of themselves that leaves this world, that goes to the next world. And wine, he says, is something from the next world which we're able to access over here. Right? You follow the the logic? It's a little bit out there. But the idea is that wine really is a gift from the next world. It's something which is so lofty, it doesn't even belong here. So when we lose a part of ourselves, heaven forbid, and tragically, when we lose a loved one and something of ourselves has left this world, we are given, the purpose of wine is to give God's gift. Allowing a person to have something back in this world from beyond this world. Okay, um, okay, we'll skip the, skip the second part, right? So again, this is a bit of a mystical idea, but what he's telling us is really a bit of a third approach. Why? he says it's so, it, you know, it's so powerful, it's so special, it's so incredible, it really doesn't belong in this world. It's above this world, and therefore, that's why the Gemara says, only for nichama belem, when someone loses something from this world, they need something from the next world to give them some comfort. But he's painting a picture of wine. Um, you know, I don't know how he would react to our to our uh, application of opening the fridge at the end of the day. But I, I think he would also suggest there should be some caution. But not because it's so bad, but because it's almost like so powerful, right? Sometimes you could have something which is like uh, you know it's so powerful that you have to use like special gloves to, 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 to administer, to engage with it, because it's so incredibly spiritual, right? So the Maharel is painting a very lofty picture of wine um, in terms of how we should perceive it. He's saying it's something really otherworldly. Let's keep on reading for a second. Let's turn the page. And there's another section of the Maharal, And here he talks about Pisa, okay? He says, The four cups, of, of wine. Why do we drink four cups of wine on Pesach night? It reflects, the Gemara tells us, it reflects the four terms that God uses in redeeming the Jewish people. It doesn't just say, It says, I'm going to take you out of the land. God says four different terms of how He's going to redeem us, how the ge'ula is going to take place um, on Pesach, uh, when, when the Jewish people left Israel. So the wine is associated with it. Okay? So He says, There are levels to redemption shiachila gufanit. And therefore matza, which is more physical, shachila misparnis mimena haguf, because food really feeds the body. And the food turns into flesh. Right? When we eat something like matzah, it turns into our physical body. He says drink, by definition, because of its uh, viscosity, is something which is less physical, right? In his in his worldview, a rock is the most physical. Right? And then as you go further on that continuum, we become more spiritual. Okay? V'ashhtiyah mimashke shudak, the shekein kashher ha hu and specifically the drink of wine, Nivda v'yotsi min ha-nav nistar l'sham Again, it goes from that hidden place. Ukumosha amru, yayin nitein v'shivim, v'sod nitein v'shivim Okay? So that wine is given with 70 and secrets are given with 70. What does that mean? The Midrashic Statement that wine is given with 70, and secrets are given with 70. So what does that mean? So he points out there is a gematria, the numerical value of yayin, of wine, is the same numerical value of sod, of secrets. And there's a famous passage which says, nichmas yayin, wine goes out, sod, secrets go out. Right? So the more, the way colloquially, the way we talk about that is that we say, like, when you drink, you kind of spill your beans, right? I know people who like they're like, I can't drink because I'm afraid of what I'm going to say. I'm afraid of sharing things which are, you know, I shouldn't be sharing, right? Which exactly to your point earlier, sometimes we need to lower those inhibitions, right? Uh, but that's but he says it's much deeper than that. And I'm just going to paraphrase because I'm not going to continue reading it. But he says it's much deeper than that. The idea again of wine is that it's meant to reveal something deeper and deeper. You know what the Maharal ultimately is getting at? You know it's interesting. If you have uh, I don't know uh, matzo, let's take matzah. You have a matzah, okay? You're hungry. or night, it's around the corner, people. I'm sorry. It uh, goes around the corner, you have a piece of matzah, you okay, have a whole matza, and then later you want to have another matza, right? And then you want to have another matzah. By the fourth matzah, if you're eating four matzas, you're getting a little tired of matas. You, You're Maybe you are really hungry the first time, but then as you drink, eat more and more, you get more and more full and it doesn't taste as good. Wine's actually the opposite, right? When you drink your first bottle, cup of wine, okay, it's nice. But then actually, as it goes on, it actually opens up your palace. It opens up your, your, your ability to experience and enjoy the wine. And it actually becomes more enjoyable as you drink. Okay? And the idea is, what the Maharaj is getting it is is that when we talk about the levels of Geula, it's not just that there are four stages of Geula. There are four levels of Geula. That God redeemed us, but he didn't just take us out as physical slaves. He also gave us the Torah. And he also gave us freedom. And he also gave us a sense of purpose. Right? There is this, this deepening of the experience. And wine, which represents a deepening of an experience, it represents something deep, it represents something which you said really comes from the next world. That's specifically something, as we drink each cup, it's not four cups of wine, it's for sequential cups of wine. It's that each cup of wine builds upon the next because the experience of wine is something which, deep by definition, as opposed to any other food, you know, how much apple juice or orange juice can you drink? Oh, it gets hard. But with wine, there's actually it increases your taste. That's why people sometimes drink wine in the beginning of a meal because it, it actually is gives us a little bit more. We become more hungry. It actually opens us up for more. Right. So it's the experience of wine. So what the morale is getting at is that there is this. You know, the, the lines between the physical reality and the symbolism are, 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 you know, it's very easy to see, right? The wine itself, again, captured in the grape. There's the, the wine captured in the grape, but there's also the experience of drinking, which brings it to a deeper level, a deeper experience, and that's why we have those four cups of wine on Pesach nights to have a deeper and deeper experience. Okay, with those ideas, we've done understand the of and this goes back to Kiddush. The Tzfat HaMes says, this is why we drink wine on Friday nights, or for any holy thing. What we're trying to do is get a taste what is Shabbos all about? It's about Me'ino lama ba. It's about the world to come. Just like we saw the mourner needs a taste of the world to come, well, now we understand that wine gives us a taste of the world to come, right? And it's also meant to tap, touch us into our own inner world, right? So there's a deep symbolism of the wine that we drink on Friday nights or Shabbos day. Um, if you do drink wine, even if you drink grape juice, it's, it's meant to remind us of this, of the fact that there is supposed to be a deepening of our experience. Our, our mindset on Shabbos cannot be as superficial as it is during the week. We need to think. Right? Like says we have to, uh, the Torah says we have to walk differently, we have to speak differently, we have to think differently. And wine reminds us to live a more inner experience. It reminds us of the world to come, that we're not here forever, and we have to step up our game, so to speak, to, to live a better life. But it also reminds us of living deeper, and that's the idea behind wine. So maybe to summarize, again, we have the Rambam who says, you know, face value, wine, not good, not bad, we want to balance it. We have the Sefer Chinach who says, it's intrinsically dangerous and there, and, and bad. And therefore, we only ex- have these exceptions. The maral flips that all and says, so no, wine is incredible. Okay? It's incredible, but things that are incredible we have to be cautious with. Okay? So when we use it, it's because it's so powerful. The symbolism of wine is so unique, both in the experience, both in the, the, the process of making the wine. It touches upon olam haba. It touches upon a deepening of our experience. Again, things which are powerful need to be engaged with in a healthy and, and, and careful fashion. Yes? Like one I guess Google says 10 years. Uh more importantly, 70. Yeah. Right. Yes, we do see the words. He's not. He's not making that connection over here. But yes, there is this the the, the notion of seventy. There are the members of there, there are many seventies in the Torah uh, that that do play a role. Both the members of the Sanhedrin, ish uh, sort of the seventy-one, uh, but the seventy languages that they speak um, and things of that nature. We find seventy as a number, and there's, there's certainly more to that in terms of why that is. And the Maral, who is very into numerology, uh, does discuss why the number seventy is, is specifically used. Okay. So I wanted to share this as a, as a general introduction, and I wanted to move into perm. Yes. Why don't we? Yeah. Some people do. Some people do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some people have. Yeah. I've been to. I've been to shiva houses where they'll specifically sit down and have some lechem. Yeah. 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 Two plays I won't turn down. Someone just got engaged or a shiva house. I'll have uh, a shot with you. Uh, I mean, forbid. But yeah. 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 People do. People do. People do. Okay. So with that general introduction, let's talk about. Okay, so we have a, so on page number three, we have a Gemara Megillah, a rather famous uh, Gemara. going to pick up our page, so we want to make sure we, we get through uh, everything. Amar says Raba, Mechaev inish levasome vifuraya A person is obligated, levasome means, to become intoxicated on Purim. To what extent? Ad diloyada, until they don't know, bin aru haman, the cursedness of Haman, Levaruch Mordechai, to the blessing of Mordechai. Okay, we stop the Gemara over here. Okay? It means that we have to go, uh, before we get home now, we have to go buy a couple of bottles of wine or something. We have to make sure. That, that's pretty drunk, presumably, right? So it's the point that you don't know the difference between how black, you know, Mordecai being the good guy, Hamma being the bad guy. That is rather much. Okay? But the Gemara doesn't stop. The Gemara continues. <laughs> Rabbah and Ravzera, they had a Purim party together. People get together, they're friends, they had a Purim party. Ibasum, they got drunk. Come, Raba. Shachte, the Rav Zehra. Rabbah fulfilled the idea of Adzaloyada. He was so drunk that he got up. Okay, Some understand this more metaphorically. Whatever the case is, it sounds like he slaughtered his colleague, Rabbi Zera. He killed him at their Purim The the next day, Rabbah wakes up and realizes what happens. Vayi Okay? However you want to, the Gemara says, he davens and he brought him back to life. Okay, Take this as you wish. Some understand this literally. Some understand this more... Figuratively, but one way or another, clearly, it was a pretty violent meal. Okay? Lashana, the next year, Amr Um Rabbah turns to Rav and and says, purim adadi. Come over, let's have another Purim to the next year. Amr Lehi, Rav Zehra says, I can't rely on a miracle every year. I'm gonna go somewhere else, <laughs> okay? Um, and that's how the Gemara ends. It's, a, it's, it's like a funny Gemara, right? It's an amazing Gemara. I mean, the, the, the rabbis were, were quite witty. Um, but it's a shocking Gemara on so many levels, but, right, but clearly things got out of hand, and Rav Zerah says, I'm not hanging out with you, Rav, anymore while you're drinking. It's not a good idea. Okay, so you finish a Gemara like that, and you ask yourself, you know, what was the... Rav, Rav who is one of the most authoritative, you know, commentators, comes in and says, you gotta get completely drunk. And then it follows up by a story which seemingly contradicts that idea right? Typically, the Gemara, the way Gemara works is they'll sh- share a, a halakha, and then the story will defend, will reinforce, will demonstrate that the rabbis put this into practice. But over here, there's no dissenting view, and yet the Gemara gives a story which seemingly very much contradicts that earlier statement, right? So there's a, again, there's a, there's a tension, once again, about alcohol and specifically around perm over here. On the one hand, you have Rava saying, you got to drink to the nth degree, and others saying, and, and the story saying, it's a really bad idea. So many commentators conclude from this Gemara, the Ran, M'iri, and others, that the implication of the Gemara is that you should not be getting drunk. Yes, Rabba said that, and maybe even in theory, but clearly, it's a really bad idea. If Rabbah, one of the great sages, did something so horrendous, so violent, so terrible, then we're, 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 of course not. It's a terrible idea. And so some conclude that the implication of the Gemara is that you should not be drinking, you should not be getting drunk at all. You should not be getting drunk at all. Now the Budraham suggests that really the story, the Gemara and Rava are not a contradiction at all. This to something very interesting. He says the Budraham is writing about five, six hundred years ago, uh, six hundred years ago or so. Uh, he writes that back in the day there was actually a song, okay, and basically in the song there was a refrain, okay. Basically one person would say da 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 da, say Baruch Mordechai, and then say da 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 da, da 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 Mordechai, back and forth, and back and forth. And if you're drinking enough that you get them confused, that's enough. Now. That's very different than me tap you on the shoulder and say, Is Haman the good guy or the bad guy? Right? That's basically saying that you and I, if we did that right now and it we faster and faster, we'd probably all get it confused, right? You don't need too much alcohol to be, not be perfectly in sync that you can get the words exactly right, right? So that there is, that the, Abu, Abu Draham understands as Gemara, that basically, no, really, we also rule like Rava. Ravah went beyond what Rava was proposing. Rav, Ravah was just saying, Drink enough that so you should get I'm tipsy whatever, nothing, nothing crazy. And Rabbah went and went way out of proportion. Okay? But basically, according to the Vajraham, the way the Gemara concludes that you should drink a little bit so you're a little tipsy, but certainly not getting, you know, inebriated, not intoxicated. Okay? The Rambam has a very interesting read, a bit of a stretch of a read. He says, you know what it means? You can't tell the difference between Mordechai and Haman? When's that? You know, most of the time you can tell the difference. He says, well, when you fall asleep, you don't know what's flying. You're completely out of it. So you see you know what the Rambam says? Drink some wine, let it cause you to be a little sleepy, because that's one of the things that wine does, and put your head down and go to sleep. you fulfilled your mitzvah. Okay? So you have three different views. One basically saying that you should, that, that really, there is no that, that the implication of the Gemara is that we should not be getting drunk. You have others who say that all it means is you should be getting tipsy. The Rambam says just drink a little bit to a point that it makes you a little bit sleepy. There are those who take the Gemara face value and say, no, Rambam says you should be getting completely drunk, But many disagree. Okay. How do we hold? Let's turn the page, okay? We're going to summarize the different opinions. I can't tell you how we hold because, Because as you'll see, there really are different opinions. um, And and it's, uh, yeah, there are different opinions. So some say, some say that drinking from this Gemara, because of the ambiguity of the Gemara, there is a value in drinking. And again, I want to just take a step back. Why do we drink on Purim? Because we're reminding ourselves of the two suudos. The suda of achashverosh that caused Vashti to die, which was the catalyst for much of the story, and the Suda uh, that took place between Achashverosh and Vashti and Haman, which was the climax of the story. And so we want to remind ourselves of that. That's the reason behind it. Some say drinking is recommended, but certainly not obligatory. And that's how some walk away from this. I'm just going to run through for a second. Um, some say, like the Rambam, this is actually how the Ramah, Paskins, the Ramah, who we typically rule for Ashkenazim, Rosha Moshe Isulis, is the main authority. He says, drink a little bit extra. He says, have an extra, if you, drink, if you don't drink wine, drink a cup of wine. And then go to sleep. Take a nap. It's a busy day. It's hard to take a nap. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to take a nap on perm day. It's very hard. Uh, but, but, but basically, that's what he says you should do. Um, and, and that's how the are Hoskins. Okay. Um, there are others who say that one should not drink, that if even according to those who say you should be drinking, if you know of yourself that it's going to cause harm. And that's certainly the case. You know, we have over here a, a perm pseudo, which was initially started uh, for people in the addictions community. Uh, some people came, came, to, came over to me and said, you know, my spouse, or I am you know a recovering addict or whatever. And Perm's is a very miserable day. You know, it never, never occurred to me. It should have occurred to me, but it never occurred to me how challenging of a day it is for someone in that community. Um, so we started a Perms, suit. We thought it would be like 20 people. Uh, we have like 200 people come every year now. It's beautiful. And it's not just for people in that community. And people want a suit without alcohol. And that's 100% okay. There are those who say it's recommended, not obligatory. And for you, if for any reason... You don't like alcohol. You don't want to drink alcohol. You don't like being around people drinking alcohol. Uh, there's not a... It's, it's too late to sign up. If you want to sign up, I'll get you in. But, but the point is that it's not a promotion, but the point is that it's totally fine. You could 100% have, uh, you know, a suda without wine. So really there's... But there, there's, my point is that there's really a spectrum of views and it's based on this very strange Gemara. Some saying, you know... Don't drink at all. That's what Gamera is telling us. Some say, no, go with Rava. Drink, drink, drink. And even there, the post can say, only if you really know that you're not going to do anything dangerous, anything unhealthy, anything you're going to regret. Others say, drink a little bit more than usual. And this interesting idea of drinking and then trying to nap on that day. Okay, so really you have, I can't tell you. So Dina, I can't answer you. What we pascan like, it's clear that there are a spectrum of views. I would certainly uh, encourage caution if a person is unsure of, uh, you know, how they take to alcohol um, or unsure of what it's going to cause, I would certainly encourage caution. And this goes without saying, of course, uh, legalities. And we're talking about adults over here. We're not talking about children. Um, and that's something which certainly must be kept in mind. It's worth noting as well that, uh, that the only time that we actually have this mitzvah on Purim is not throughout the whole day, okay? This is a big, you know, people are very machmir about drinking wine. Uh, some, you know, younger people are very strict about drinking wine. It, the, only, the only mitzvah is during your suuda. During, you, you washed, you started your meal for Purim. That's the time we're, we're, we're trying to uh, reimagine, you know, reenact the, the su'udah of, of the Purim story. But it's a suda. There wasn't drinking like, throughout the day. They weren't just sitting around getting drunk. Um, it was specifically, so even those who do drink, it's important to note: there's no mitzvah to drink at night. There's no mitzvah to drink in the morning. Uh, the, the mitzvah is as soon as you start your meal, you should be drink. you could or should be drinking during that time. There's also a discussion about, since there it was clearly they used wine, should it be wine only or could you use other, you know, whiskey or whatever it is? It's different opinions, but many say it's ideal to use wine for that time. Okay? So again, do we have a particular ruling? No. But don't let anyone tell you you must be getting drunk on Purim. The Gemara itself, which speaks to this, is incredibly complicated and leads us to, again, at least four views. Yes, you must get drunk, but be very careful if it's going to cause harm. Uh, drink a little bit more than usual. Uh, drink and go to sleep or don't drink at all. Those are all, I, I, I can't tell you to weigh in between those opinions, uh, but you have what to rely upon and just use your, your seicha. Okay. I want to conclude with uh, really a, a very important idea about, uh, which, which I think we could learn from, from alcohol and I think really uh, throws a little bit of caution about, about any form. I started with, you know, other substances and, and people's engagement and which becoming much more normative in our day and age. There's a very interesting halacha that tells us that you cannot be intoxicated when you daven. It's forbidden. We learn that from the kohanim and the of Mikdash. but just like they are not allowed to serve uh, while they are intoxicated, we too are not allowed to be drunk uh, when we daven. Okay? Uh, the simple explanation is that it's disrespectful. You know, you wouldn't show up to a business meeting, uh, you know, uh, slurring your words. It's, you know, uh, of course not. So if you're talking to God, of course, you have to be careful. The Ishbitzer, who's one of the great Hasidic rabbis, one of the most profound uh, thinkers uh, in the Hasidic world, suggests the following idea. He says that it's not just that. He says it's not just that. He says the, the truth is you can make a counter-argument. In some cultures... They specifically get intoxicated or they specifically use drugs to, you know, in certain uh, Native American uh, cultures, they would use some form of a substance to get people much more loose. Or even, you know, there's a lot of research right now in uh, Hopkins on mushrooms. Uh, and there's a lot of discussion about their value for uh, PTSD, et cetera, et cetera. And the early usage of mushrooms for healing purposes was found in, you know, Native Americans did this. They would use mushrooms as a way of healing and as part of their religious services. So there's an argument to be made, you know, and some, you know, some people may argue, you know, I'm much more, you know, spiritual when I drink. You know, it's, it's you see, it, you know, we have a, a you, know, people, you know, people are much more into it sometimes when they drink. So why is it that I can't dive? It's true, it's not so respectful, but, but I'm able to speak to God much more candidly and all those inhibitions where I'm normally afraid to say this or that and uh, whatever. But when I dive when in, when I sing or when I dive when I'm drunk, I'm much more alive. It's a fair argument, right? It's a fair argument that one could make that on the contrary, intoxicants and things which, which uh, alter our state of minds might actually be beneficial for spirituality. But the Ishbitzer says that that's incorrect. He says that when we die, he says it's an incorrect understanding of what davening really is. Davening really is, you know, there's a pasuk that, that, we speak, that, that is used that is, as the symbol of, of, of davening, and that is, Mina karasika, I call out to you, Hashem, from the depths. If you've ever walked into that Gura uh, on Park Heights, if you look closely, you'll notice the chaz and the baltsfila. actually the, the floor is a little bit lower, right over there. And that's based on a custom that some have that when a person, the chasm is supposed to be min ha meitzer supposed to be in the depths, in the straits when you call out to Hashem. But that's supposed to be our mindset when we dive in. And he says what that means is that we have to have a very, and I use this word, you know, sober view of the world. And we cannot, when we drink, one of the things that could happen, that happen not everyone, again, like you pointed out earlier, it's also depressant, but many people, what it allows, and especially with other uh, substances, is it glosses over, the things that are broken, you know, many people turn to alcohol other substances to escape some of the pain that they're experiencing, right? And when you think of the psychology of, of addiction, very often, and again, it's, a, it's it's complicated, but 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 some many argue that the uh, the, the impetus is that the people who are uh, prone to addiction oftentimes are people who have very sensitive souls. Right? and their souls are so sensitive that they need to soothe those souls. Right? It comes from this incredibly lofty place of, of someone who sees everything that's, that's broken in others and in themselves, and, and it's too much, it's overwhelming, so I need to escape it. I need to get away from it. I need to be in a place where I can't, and I need to ride above it. That's the whole idea of those substances. It allows them to escape, to override, and to see just the good. Tzfilah, to really daven, we can't escape. Tzfilah is mina Tvila is we have to have this very wide-eyed, true, accurate view of, where I need to grow and where the world, how the world needs to change and how all the things that are missing because tefillah comes from a place of yearning. The more we recognize the realities of the world and we live in a pre messianic world, the world is not perfect. Okay, we shouldn't get depressed with that view, but we should also recognize the world is imperfect. And tefillah, the, 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 the way tefillah works is from a state of, from a state of, I recognize things are broken and I ask you, Hashem, to help me and help us change those things. And so I share this because it's, it's so important to recognize that the, the philosophy of any substance very often is one of trying to run away. As the Gemara said, sometimes in moderation, we need that. But we need that very in a very limited fashion. We can't live a life of running away of over, sometimes, and I, I should, probably shouldn't say this, but, but some of the, the there, there, are, there are movements to be like, So positive. You know, like everything's good, everything's you know, everything's great, you know, everything is there's a there's you know, everything is awesome, everything is wonderful, like we're constantly focusing. And there's it's important. We do need to be constantly remind ourselves to be positive. But when we do that at the expense of being realistic, we do that expense of, of ignore like, th- it's important that we recognize what's, what's, what's wrong as well. And it's from that, it's only when we have that deep recognition that we're actually able to change. Substances is really stands counter, is a contradiction to tefillah. Because tfilah is not just about, I feel great, Hashem, you know, I feel so close to you, kumbaya. It's about recognizing the things that are missing and the need to change those things and, my, and the need for Hashem to help me change those things as well. So, to summarize, you know, in a global view, and this is why I, I think that our discussion over here is much more whether you drink on Purim, you don't drink on Purim, you drink, you have a beer on a night, or not have a, a beer, but, but I think a general understanding of wine and, and what it represents, I think, is, is much bigger than wine or beer or schnapps itself. Basically, the Torah's relationship with, with alcohol is, you know, complicated, to say the least. Um, at best, what we saw from the Ramam is moderation. Uh, you know, the Ramam takes the more neutral view. We saw that it's either very bad or it's so good either way, It's something which needs an incredible amount of caution. It's not something which we want to engage in flippantly. If we have a culture, a society, which is engaging, indulging all the time, we should be cautious about that. We should recognize that there's a need for some counterbalance to that. And don't get me wrong. I'm not a, you know, I I like a good cup of wine or whatever it is. Uh, But the point is that some caution is needed in terms of how we address these things Um, in a you know, getting inebriated, certainly outside of the context of Purim, is something which is frowned upon because it is escapism and escapism is something we want to be in a state of tefillah in a state of, of yearning and when we, are, when we are intoxicated and we allow ourselves to be impacted by these influences um, by substances then we, we, we are escaping this world and we need to live in this world and on Purim again we saw there are varying views um Certainly a person, if there's any remote danger or if their children they are highly influenced, it should be done with an incredible amount of caution. But We did see a spectrum of views. There certainly is an allowance to drink a lot. Uh, there's certainly also on the, on the flip side, uh, totally fine to not drink at all. If you want to have the middle ground, drink a little bit more than you normally do and you certainly fulfill your obligation according to all. It's uh, probably a good path to take. I hope you all have an enjoyable Purim, whether you're drinking or not. Thank you. I'll pick up on Pesach next week. Thank you.